Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, trust dies, but mistrust blossoms. Though those words are attributed to a, a Greek playwright, Sophocles, 2,500 years ago, I wouldn't fault you for presuming that they were written in 2020 to describe our current society and situation in our world, one in which trust is simply not easy to come by. Think of, of even a few generations ago, the people that we, we trust almost without question that, that now we, we find ourselves doubting and wondering. A, a doctor, you could always assume the doctor had your best interest in mind and would tell you what was best and necessary for your health. But nowadays, as we recognize that pharmaceutical companies have payouts and bonuses for prescribing new medicines and, and pushing pills, and, and even hospitals have certain restrictions and limitations, and insur insurance companies, all of their li liabilities and limitations, you can't always trust, perhaps, the way that you used to, even a doctor. A journalism is another example. It, it used to be that you could understand and expect that a news story or a report was written in a rather unbiased way, just reporting the facts and the news. And nowadays, it's not uncommon for even the headline or the lead in the story to very clearly, sometimes overtly, make it obvious what slant the writer is coming from in the article. Of course, politicians have, have never been really probably all that trustworthy. That's not usually how we would describe them, but, but we trust them perhaps less today than we ever have. Our sports heroes cheat and, and dope. Charities and crowdfunding campaigns are, campaigns are mired in scandal. And, and even religious leaders mislead. Trust is not easy to come by. So that might help us to understand why a passage like a verse that we have before us today, Romans 8.28, is, is oftentimes so polarizing. Why it is such a struggle for, for people to trust, not just outside the church, but even inside the church. Of course, we're used to the church question, or those outside the church questioning God and his word, but we acknowledge that when we hear this, this promise from God, even we struggle at times to trust it, to believe it. Paul records that promise that we'll focus on today in Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, some things, sure, we can understand God working some things for our good, but, but good in, in everything at all times? It's one thing for us to read that verse, and, and we even relatively nonchalantly rattle it off in the, in the midst of fellow believers going through struggle or hardship, but for us to trust it, to, as Paul says, to know that in all things God works, well, that's a, that's a, a tall order for us to, to buy in. Good in everything? Tell that to the mother who miscarried the spouse who is crushed by infidelity, the father who finds out that his, his grown son is, is out living on the streets, the classmate who, who finds out what somebody else posted about her on social media, the exhausted single mom struggling just 
to take care of her children. Cancer, unemployment, abuse, good in everything? Well, again, it's, it's one thing for us to spout this passage off to somebody else, but, but we can hardly, hardly fault even the unbeliever who, who scoffs at this when we ourselves as Christians struggle and it, it pushes the limitations of our faith. So how do we understand this promise? There is a key to grasping this in the way that God intends this to be a blessing for us. And actually, to misunderstand this runs the risk of letting a verse like this that God intended to to use to draw us closer to him to actually have the adverse, the opposite effect and drive us further from him if we don't rightly understand this key aspect. And that key in understanding is this. God's good is different than our good. In other words, when God promises to work all things out for our good, everything, he doesn't mean that he promises to work it out for good as we define and determine it, but rather according to his idea of what is good. And though it may be tough to swallow, and you may not want to hear this, the fact of the matter is that God's good is better than our good. And my own personal experience has, has borne that out time and again in, in my life. What I thought was good is, is always trumped by God's greater good. And you might be a little more willing to understand and appreciate that as well if you take just a few moments to reflect on your life, to look back on your own life and to consider different seasons, different times and experiences that you've had in your own life Times that you thought something was good for you or or you knew what was best for you only to find experience and time reveal something else. That relationship that you were insistent on, that you knew was, was the relationship for you only to have it fall apart. The job that you knew was was going to be the best move for you that ended up leaving you in a worse position than when you started. Money that was supposed to solve problems only ended up creating more problems. And I think we're all in the same boat when it comes to, at at different stages in our lives, being fairly confident that we knew better than our parents what was best for us, only to have that cruel uh, teacher experience show us that our parents actually did have our good in mind. So it's actually a little easier to understand how God's good can be greater than ours when we look at our own track record and we see how flawed, how oftentimes our idea of what was good actually missed the mark as much, if not more, than it actually hit the mark. But maybe maybe you're willing to acknowledge that but aren't ready to take that next big step and say, well, it's one thing for me to admit that My idea of what is good may not always be accurate, but it's another thing to say that God's idea of good is always in my best interest. Well, here's the thing. We can let God just speak for himself. We don't have to put words into his mouth because if you look at the verses that follow this promise that God gives to to work all things out for our good, he explains exactly what his idea of good is. In verses 29 and 30, Paul continues, the writer of of this letter to the Romans, he explains that those God foreknew, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, there's an awful lot of theological jargon, a lot of words that, that may go over our head in these verses. But if we simplify it down to what is God's good, what is his idea of what is good for us, what is his purpose for us, he makes it pretty clear he wants us to be numbered among those in his family or brothers and sisters. And what is required for that to happen, a pretty big change is necessary. He explains that we have to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Which is to say, God's desire is that we would be numbered among his family. And if that's going to be the case, then we have to be like Jesus. Now consider that for a moment. Even if you aren't a believer and you're considering these verses, Jesus has such a a pristine, such an exalted reputation, believer or unbeliever alike, that who of us would not want to be like Jesus? Think of the fruits of the Spirit that are listed in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Rather than those being things that we strive to attain, things that we want to reach and, and grow into, If we were like Jesus, we just would be all of those things. They would describe us perfectly. Jesus, always caring for others. Always compassionate. Always forgiving. Always longing to carry out his Father's will. Always holy. Always perfect. Always without sin. Which then means always without guilt as well. Oh, can you imagine what that would be like to go even just one day without guilt? But we look at Jesus and we consider what God's purpose, what his good will is, that we would be like Jesus. And when we look at how Jesus is actually described in the Gospels and we realize that that he is righteousness, that, that he was holy and is perfect, all that we recognize is how unattainable that expectation, that requirement ever is. And we consider the fruits of the Spirit and we realize how unlike Jesus we truly are when we look at those. All they show us is how wide the gap is between what we would like to be and where we actually are. In place of love, we're left with animosity. In place of joy, bitterness. Peace is replaced by quarreling. Patience? Hardly. Kindness? Wickedness. Animosity. We aren't gentle. We're harsh. We aren't uh, in control of ourselves, but oftentimes out of control of what comes out of our mouths and and what we think and how we live. And, And so when we consider that God's good is that he wants us to be like Jesus, but then we see what Jesus is, we realize we don't stand a chance. On our own, there is is not a a, a place for us at the table of God's family. There's no room for us there. We could never in our wildest dreams ever hope to attain that requirement if we are going to be numbered among God's family, his brothers and his sisters. But here is, is why God's good far surpasses what we could ever hope for or even imagine. 
Because God's good is and always will be carried out. And God described what that good was and and how he would carry it out for us. And, And simply put, it is this. God wanted you to be his, and so he made it so. Listen to the words that Paul used again to describe this process. He he uses words like foreknew and predestined. Those are are words that that really call to attention this teaching in the Bible that we understand, and we, we often refer to it as election. God chooses those that he wants to be a part of his family. And if God wants it to be so, then it will be so. God knew that ahead of time. In fact, before you were ever born, in fact, before he ever even brought anything into existence, he knew that he would make you his, that you would belong to him. That's grace. It's grace that that he knew you before you were created and he chose you beforehand. And how beautiful it is that, that nothing can change that. God's will from being carried out. No, he didn't foreknew you in the sense that he looked into his crystal ball and he saw that, well, well, you would believe when you heard the good news about Jesus. He didn't look into his crystal ball and say, well, this person's going to live a relatively exceptional life in comparison to others and therefore I will number them among my family. No, we're numbered among God's family because God willed that to be the case. God chose you and me to be his period. It's that simple. That's what grace is. And and Paul then goes on to to lay out step by step how God essentially carried this out because he foreknew, he chose us, he put boundaries around us to make us his own. He, He explains that process saying that those that he chose, he called to faith, Those he he called, he also justified. He declared not guilty because Jesus has paid for our sins. He can call us to faith because no sin separates us from God if we've been declared not guilty or justified. And the ones that he justified, he also glorified. In part now, yes, we, we certainly don't look in all our glory here on earth, but at home in heaven, we will see the full glory that God has made us to be. God's good is is that he wants us to be like Jesus to be brought in his family. And God's good is that because of Jesus, through faith in Jesus, we have met that requirement. Jesus has made it possible by his perfect life and his suffering and his death for God's good to be carried out. That means that you are a part of his family. Even though we would never attain those fruits of the Spirit on our own, even though hardly a day in our life even moderately resembles the life of of Jesus, and even though we ourselves struggle to cling to this very promise that we're focusing on today, that God's going to work everything out for our good, even though we have a lackluster faith that clings to that promise, still because of Jesus and our faith in him, God numbers us among his family. Now, if, if you put that into perspective, returning back to this promise that, that God is going to work everything out for our good, is there even a, a sliver of a chance 
that God, whose greatest good was to spend eternity with you by bringing you into his family, is there even the slightest chance that that God who took care of, of every step, and you notice that, that we aren't required in any of those steps, God is the one who did all the work carrying it out through Jesus. We're simply on the receiving end, which makes it all about grace. And, and because God in his grace brought us into his family, can you really fathom that there would be a second, a minute, an hour, a week, a day, and so on of your life that God doesn't care about you and your good? It's impossible. If God's greatest good has been carried out to bring you into his family through faith in Jesus for eternity, you know, as Paul says, that all the other things in this life, he is going to manage to bring in bring them into his good purposes for you as well. May not always look like it to us. In fact, this side of heaven, maybe it's a, a little bit more like looking at the underside of a, of a hand-woven rug. It's not very pretty. If you've ever uh, shaken out a, a rug and you look at the, the bottom side of it, it looks mismatched and a bunch of loose ends. There's nothing particularly pretty about it. But you turn that rug over and you see the design that went into it. You see that, that rug as it was intended to, to look, to be viewed. That's how our life now is, this side of heaven, really looking at the underside of the rug. But when we get home in, in heaven, we'll look and we'll see the, the other side of that rug. How God took all of the hardships, the sufferings, the good and the bad in our lives and, and wove it all together into this beautiful work of art. So no, God's promise to you and to me is not that we will always see the good that he works in our lives through any and every situation. But he simply says that we can absolutely 100% trust him when he tells us that he will work it out for our good. And why can we be so certain? Because God has already, for you and me in Christ Jesus, carried out his good, the greatest good, to see that we will spend eternity numbered among his family of believers. And in the meantime, he's going to work out everything for our good until we get to the place where there is only good, our home in heaven. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.